The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church, and it's part of our series called The Trinity in Advent. For previous messages or to find out more about Stone Oak Bible Church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I have loved our time together so far through, through the Advent season as we've been looking at the Trinity in, in Advent, it has, been a, it has been a great time. We're going to continue it on this morning, but before we get there, I wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up on where we're going. Uh, so we, as we get to uh, start a brand new year together, we are going to uh, spend the first two weeks talking specifically about prayer. Uh, prayer. So, so January 1st, January 8th, we're going to be looking at this, and um, almost without exception, if I were to ask um, a follower of Jesus, would you, uh, would you hope that your prayer life was strengthened? Do you want a stronger prayer, prayer life? Without exception, the answer to that question is yes. This is something we, we all want. Um, and it's something that as a people in our culture, the church in our culture, it's something that we struggle pretty significantly with. Uh, we don't know where to start. We don't know if we're doing it right. Sometimes we feel like a whiny kid just asking for things. Is this the way it's supposed to be? We don't know where to, to start, and, and we don't know why. This is the thing that I really want to get to the heart of. We don't know why. If all of us want this, if it's something that we all want to get better at, if it's something we all desire, why is it so difficult? Why is it that we struggle so much? Um, why is it, just in all honesty, that prayer services in any church across our nation are the least attended service of the year? Why is that? Why is that? Why do we struggle so much? Well, I want to invite you to join us. We're going to start our year off looking at prayer. It's going to be short, um, just January 1st and 8th, and, and we're going to focus really practically in this time together as we start our year. It's going to be a focus of our year. So I, I hope that you'll be able to join us for that. Um, today, though, let's pick up where we left off in, in as we look at our God in a, a series called The Trinity in Advent. And we've said this, I think, before every week. Um, the Trinity in Advent is, is a seriously huge and daunting thing to, to uh, teach through. Because where do you start? It's, it's a series called God, basically. And so um, at the beginning of every, every one of our, of our times together, we, we've just made this statement that we are going to be content knowing that what we're about to do is not going to be an exhaustive look at our God. Uh, that's not possible on one hand, and, it's, and, and we're not even going to try. What we're going to do, though, is we're going to be content with looking at just a, couple, a handful of facets of our God and how beautiful that, that he is, how extensive he is. So um, two weeks ago, we started by looking at the Father. Last week, we continued as we, as we looked at the Holy Spirit. And this week, I get the dream sermon for every pastor. Preach about Jesus, right? That's my task. I love my job. And um, so this week and next week for Christmas Eve, this is going to be kind of a two-parter. We're going to be looking at the sun. We're going to be looking at the sun. Um, and I know that's probably surprising to you talking about Jesus and church, but um, that's where we're going to be. Uh, but hear me, as we get into this, I do want to say this. It, 
Don't allow yourself to shift into autopilot this morning. Where, oh, I've heard this before. You know, I've, I've heard a pastor talk about Jesus before. Um, don't allow yourself to just kind of shift. I, I, for many of you, um, you know, I don't know your story. I don't know what brings you into this room. I don't know your, your background. I don't know... Uh, what brought you through the store? Many of us were in different seasons of life, different stages. We have different things going on. Some of us may be uh, mature in our walk with Jesus. Some may be fairly new. Some maybe are considering and maybe not yet a follower of Jesus. Wherever you are, um, here's here's something I can say with complete confidence. You need to hear this sermon. And please don't get me wrong, not that you need to hear me speak, like somehow you, you guys, it's a must. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is what we are going to look at is something that each one of us needs to not only look at once or twice. Or th- this, is, this is the center, the foundation, the essence of the gospel. To get this wrong is to get everything wrong. If, um, if the Christian faith were playing poker, this is the all-in moment. This is it. This is the all-in the all in moment. So we all need to hear this sermon. I do, we do. And so what I thought we would do is just here as we, as we start, if we could just write where we are, let's just pray and ask God to direct this time. God, I, I thank you that the words of the songs that we just sang are absolutely true. I thank you that your love for us is deep. And it's my prayer that through this time that, that we get a better picture, a better glimpse of who you are. As we look at the person, the work of Jesus Christ, I pray that our affections grow, that our love grows. No matter who we are, where we are from, that you meet us right where we are. Open our eyes for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, Isaiah 53 is where we're going to be. It's basically, if you open to the middle of your Bible, go right a little bit, you'll run into it. Uh, we're going to be here this morning. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend um, the, the first portion looking at the first nine or so verses, and we're going to kind of lay a foundation. And then at the, the, uh, to finish it up, we're going to look at the final two verses that's going to basically apply that foundation. Uh, this is going to be a very simple sermon. We are just going to literally walk through this uh, together, and, and it's, this is one of the most beautiful texts. Uh, they all are, but this one's one of the most beautiful texts that we have. Um, while you're getting there, Isaiah, just, just as a way of background, uh, was alive and was writing and prophesying about 700 plus years before Jesus walked the earth, about 700-ish uh, years. And, and at this time, the people were waiting They were in a season of Advent, if you will, waiting for um, the promised Messiah. Isaiah is going to refer to him, if you look through through his book, as the servant. But they're waiting um, for for one who is going to come, who is going to make all things right, rule and reign, uh, to take up again David's throne smite the enemies, all that good stuff. That's what they were waiting for. They were, they were looking for that. They were waiting for the Messiah. And, and again, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, 
um, Isaiah lays out for us what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to, to accomplish. He paints this picture. There was only one problem. The portrait that he painted was nothing what they were looking for. Nothing what they were expecting. Uh, and by the way, it's, he, he was nothing that you would have expected either, so don't get a big head. Um, but it was, he was nothing that they, were, that they were thinking he was going to be. So with that in mind, let's look. Uh, let's start in verse 2. Verse, verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. So just pause real quick. Anyone here seen a plant coming out of dry ground? A root poking up? Anyone? Isn't it spectacular? It's majestic, right? Just mind-blowing, right? Of course not. Of course not. If we, if we describe that as majestic, you need to get out more. Um, but listen, like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Again, they were expecting a king. They were expecting a king and a palace and fancy purple robes. They were expecting, and that's not what they got with Jesus. We're going to look more at this next week, but a baby in a manger is not exactly a palace. Um, you know, a baby in linens is not exactly a king's robe. Bethlehem, of all places, no royal family, no, uh, not what they were expecting. It's almost as if unbelief in this man would almost have been expected, right? I mean, uh, he had no form, no majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire. In verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I thought you were supposed to rule and reign. Bring your people under rule, but here you're despised, you're rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with, with grief. He was nothing that they, would, that they expected. But church, he was everything that they needed. The Bible tells us that he was acquainted with their grief, meaning he knew it, he lived it, he experienced it. He was acquainted with, it's just like Hebrews tells us that we have a God who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, who sympathizes with us, who understands he was human. He experienced it. No matter what you are going through today, here's, here's what this tells us. God is not just patient with you waiting for you to get your stuff together, waiting for you to come out of the funk that you're in. He's just being paid. No, he's not just tolerating you. Like, oh, whenever, when will they get it? He's not being patient with you. He's not just tolerating you. He doesn't just know about these things. He knows, he sympathizes with you, church. He, he knows he bears your grief, your, your sorrows. Uh, I remember when, when Candace and I were, were at the end of our adoption process with our son. Um, after this long journey, all things that are so out of your control, out of your hands, you can do very little to affect it. You're just praying and praying and praying. It's a long, it's an emotional 
uh, journey. I remember uh, he was home, and the journey was over, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, the real journey was just beginning. There are so many uniquely different and um, sometimes at times difficult things that come along with the adoption process that, that you go through, things that you don't really see coming. And, and I'll never forget, we were in kind of the early stages of this, and this was about a year before we, we, we launched Stone Oak Bible Church, and there was a man at our church who had been through it. He had adopted two little girls. His family went through this process, and, and um, I remember, I'll never forget, when he pulled me aside and he began to just pour out to me the things that he had dealt with. He just, he just shared um, some of the pains and the joys, some of the really unexpected difficulties that just caught him by surprise. He just started to, to share and to share and to share his story, his journey. And, and then from this, this place of complete authenticity, uh, he he looked me in the eyes and he says, I know what it's like to go through what you are going through and what you're about to go through. I know what it's like and I am here for you. Then he said, call me when you are facing emotions that you don't understand. Call me when, when you are facing unexpected things that just you don't know what to make of it. Call me. Call me in, 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 the, in the heat of the struggle. See, this man... Um, he wasn't just a guy who had read all the books and knew all the answers and, and knew how to respond. If X happens, then Y. He, he wasn't just a man who had all the... He knew what I was going through. He had been there. He had felt it. He had, he had been there. He could sympathize. Our God is not just a God who knows all the answers just out there with all of the knowledge in the world. I mean, that's true. He does know all the answers. But he doesn't just know all the answers because our, our Bible tells us he feels it, he experienced it, he sympathizes with you in your weakness. In your weakness. He doesn't just tolerate you. He sympathizes with you. He doesn't just put up with you. Um, what are you facing this morning? What are you facing this morning? Because the call isn't to clean up before you come to him. The call isn't to get your stuff together before you come to Jesus. Just as it would be really insane for me to have said, well, I can't call this man who offered until I get my act together, then I'll call him. Well, that's insane. That's insane. He says, call me. In the middle, call me. The same is true for us. We come to him, and when we do, our Bible says, we come to him confidently that there is grace, that we have a high priest who is sympathetic. Again, he was nothing that they were expecting. This was not what they were looking for, but it was everything that they needed. And in the same way, um, he's not what you and I would expect either, but he's exactly what we need. Uh, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. 
As a follower of Jesus, I want you to just follow with me this logic here. Uh, As a follower of Jesus, realize how crazy it is for us to know these things, know what I just read, for us to know this, for us to see this, for us to get this, that, and, and to know all of this, and yet to try to deal with all of our grief and sorrow and mess and sin and all of that, to try to deal with all of our stuff on our own power. To try to clean up again before we come to him. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous because he has taken it on his shoulders already. We're trying to handle things that have already been handled. Um, I, I have a weird analogy Maybe it'll make sense. I hope it does. Um, I want you to imagine that you need uh, socks and you go to Target. As you can see, this is a weird analogy. Follow me. You go to Target. You grab your socks. You go through the line. They're purchased. You get the receipt. You leave the line. And then you proceed to take those socks, put them in your shirt, and sneak out the store. That is crazy. That is absolutely insane. The socks have already been purchased, and here you are hiding, sneaking out of the store. Just walk out in confidence, because the socks have been purchased. Walk out of the store. It's creepy. It's weird that you're sneaking around with purchased socks under your shirt. Right? I told you it was weird. Church, your sin... Your struggle, according to God's word, your sin, your struggle, your mess, has been handled. It has been dealt with. Stop hiding. Stop waiting to come to him. Your stuff has been handled. Your socks have been purchased. Stop waiting. Stop hiding. And come. A hiding Christian is really a Christian who doesn't fully understand the work of Jesus Christ. For all of us, if we are waiting to clean up before we come to him, we do not understand fully the work of Jesus Christ, who says, come, come. Um, We need to move on. Verse four again. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. And listen to this. We, yet we esteemed him stricken. What an indictment by Isaiah there. Um, Because although Jesus did all of that, Although Jesus took our stuff, took our mess, handled our grief, although he did all of that, we looked down on him. We rejected him. We did not get it. He was rejected by the ones he came to save. And although that would have been difficult, I think the final line of this verse shows the true difficulty um, of this situation, which is this, smitten by God and afflicted. See, there's a price associated with taking your stuff. There's a price associated with taking your mess, your grief. Smitten by God. See, the wrath of God, we sang about this this morning, the wrath of God was poured out on him. The wrath of God was poured out on him for your mess instead of it being poured out on you. The wrath of God was poured out on him so that we might become righteous, become his children. And and listen to this, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Okay, let me be honest with you. When I hear any Christian, any follower of Jesus, arguing for fairness, I cringe. I absolutely, what is fair about that? Because of my, he took the heat for my transgression, my sin, my stuff. He took the heat for that, pierced and crushed. How is that fair? If fair is what I am arguing for, then I should have been pierced. If fair is what you are arguing for, then you should have been crushed. But mercy, by definition, is not fair. By definition, mercy is not fair because you did not get what you deserved. Praise, praise God for that, church. Praise God that you did not get what you deserved. And it's not just mercy, because listen to it, it increases here. Verse five again. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, what? We are healed. See, just as mercy is not fair because you did not get what you should have gotten, praise God for that, grace is not fair. Grace is not fair because now you are given what you should never have gotten. You have peace. You have healing. While he has wounds. That exchange was anything but fair. It was a beautiful exchange where, where God, being perfect and just, just pours out on you mercy and grace. Just, just pours it. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Church, no matter what you have lurking in the dark corners of your life, no matter what, no matter what your life looks like, no matter what, there is a peace and there is healing for you. Peace in the midst of a crazy culture that tells you that you are never enough. Peace. Peace in the midst of all of the ups and the downs that you may be going through. Peace. Healing. Healing in the midst of a broken and dysfunctional world. Healing. Peace and healing. We need to stop hiding. We need to stop sneaking out of Target with stocks that we've already purchased. And we need to come to him. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Can you relate to that? Have you been in a season like that one? Are you in a season like that one right now? Um, I, uh, the imagery here is great. So I have to picture it. I don't own sheep. Um, however, I do have three small children. And uh, I did recently take them to a Christmas tree lighting. It was dark. There were a lot of people. And all at once, all at once, my kids got very excited. And all just ran off into the darkness, into the crowds of people, ran off like sheep going astray. Um, that's us, just walking off into the dark, into the crowds, just walking off like we don't know any better. But the good news is, is that the Lord didn't leave us there. 
He sent us light in this analogy with sheep. He sent us the good shepherd. He didn't ignore our mess. He didn't ignore our sin. Instead, listen to this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So let me point out some key words here in verse six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just echoing Paul's words that for all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. See, um, I say this because sin is not just their problem. Sin is not just this broken world's problem. Sin is not out there. The problem of sin is here. Sin is our problem, all, all. Sin is is my problem, your problem. We all have sinned. It's so much easier, though, to spot sin in other people's lives. I get it. It is. They make it obvious, right? For a moment, turn, and let's just examine ourselves. And and I say this because of this. Um, You are not, you are not an innocent bystander to the gospel message as though this was happening out here. You're not an innocent bystander to this this thing. It was your sin that was put on Jesus Christ. When um, the movie, I don't know if you've seen it, The Passion of Christ, you may have heard this, but when Mel Gibson, the director of the movie, was filming it, the scene where they were putting the nails through Christ's wrists, um, he insisted, let me do it. Let me drive the nails. I mean, he did this because he, by the way, he was right. He did this because he, he viewed himself not as an innocent bystander, but he knew that it was his sin, first and foremost, that took Jesus Christ to the cross. And he knew it, and, and he is absolutely right, because it was my sin. It was my sin that was placed on, on Jesus. And the, the, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now listen to verse seven. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened, yet he opened not his mouth. <laughs> like a lamb that, that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. In other words, church, he didn't just go, he went willingly. He went willingly. I, think of it like this. Jesus had every right and all the power that he needed to put an end to this with the word of his mouth. The world, the universe, was created by the word of God. What makes you think he couldn't have stopped this by just opening his mouth? But yet, Isaiah tells us he opened not his mouth. He was innocent, submissive, not complaining or objecting. He, he opened not his mouth, and that is our Savior, church. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, in 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, not only 
Did Jesus take your grief, your sin, your mess, all of you? Not only did he take all of that, not only did he give his life, not only was he innocent and gave his life, but he gave his life. His life was, was given as a criminal, a wicked, a wicked man. Um, so, so we have a different relationship with the cross uh, in our culture today. We put it on our cars. We wear it on our jewelry. And, and um, you know, we, we, we wear it. But don't forget the cross is the symbol of the most brutal execution tool of the ancient Roman Empire. Reserved for wicked criminals who have been convicted and sentenced to death. That's what the cross meant. That's what the cross was. And although we today, we wear crosses, I'm not putting this down, we wear it as a reminder, symbolism of what Jesus has done, right? We wear it to remind us of the work of, of Jesus. You would not have seen a man walking around in 33 AD rocking a cross necklace. You would not have seen that. Just as I would guess, I would hope, I wouldn't, if we, if we looked at your jewelry, see like an execution chair necklace. If you have that, please don't show it. That's super <laughs> creepy. But this was an execution tool. It was an execution tool. And, and, and this, this gruesome death reserved for convicted criminals was the way that our innocent Savior gave his life. Gave, not taken, gave. Mouth closed, gave his life, perfect and innocent. And they made his grave with the wicked. And listen, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, um, listen to this. This is one of the, the most weighty verses I think that we're gonna look at this morning, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. I said weighty. That should be weighty. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was, there was a divine purpose at play here. There was a divine plan that was unfolding here. He took your guilt and your sin. He gave his life. He gave it all. He was crucified, and this was all a part of God's perfect plan. It was God's will to love you. It was God's will to love you. And because of that, and, and as a result, and by necessity, it was also then God's will to crush him. God's will to love you, and it was God's plan, perfect plan of God. Oh, so you don't have to turn with me here. Um, I love this text. I couldn't not read it to you. So Ephesians 1, let me just read this to you. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of his will. Do you hear that? 
This was the plan. This was the plan from the beginning before time began. This was the plan. This was the perfect plan. The son was the plan. The son was his will. You are loved by God. You are purchased by the son. You are sealed by the spirit. Praise God. He had a plan. Praise God he had a plan, and praise God that plan was accomplished perfectly and forever through Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Let's look. So, so up to this point, we've laid a foundation. You with me so far? Awesome. Um, we've laid a foundation, uh, but now going forward, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the results of this. I want us to look at now, now let's, because he took your sin and your guilt and your grief, because um, he gave his life on the cross, because he followed out and completed the perfect plan of God, because of that, let's look at what happens now. Let's look at two things that are going to happen. And please listen, because this is good, right? This is good. Remember, we need to hear this. This is so good. Uh, verse 10 again, it was the will of God, uh, the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. So when it's done, listen to this. He shall see his, off, his offspring. He shall see his offspring. So just for a moment, can we just take that in? Through him, that is through the Son, through Jesus Christ, God sees his offspring. God sees his children. Remember, Isaiah says that we all like sheep or like my children have gone astray, right? That, that was us, that we, we chose sin, we rejected him, we went astray, and now Jesus comes on this beautiful, grand rescue plan. Luke says that he came to seek and to save the lost, and, and he, he takes us, brings us to the Father, and now because of this, the Father sees us as his children. You are seen as a child of God because of the work of the Son of God. You are seen as a child of God. Don't rush past this. This text says he, he, God, will see his children, his offspring. Church, your sin is so dark, so deadly, so terrible so fatal that the Father cannot even look at you. He cannot even turn his face to you apart from the work of the Son. He cannot even stand to look at you, but now through Jesus Christ, the Father now looks at, sees his offspring. He looks at, he sees his children. Church, he looks at, he sees you. He sees you as his children. Take this in. You are seen as a child of God because of the work of the Son of God. The Father sees you. Going back to our weird target analogy just for a moment. As a Christian, as a Christian, it, this, understanding this, makes it even more ridiculous even more ridiculous that we would sneak around after uh, putting socks under our shirt, 
okay? Uh, one, like we talked about as a Christian, the sock has already been purchased, okay? So that's weird to sneak out with it and, and, and to get out, you know, with it under your shirt. But two, um, as this says, we're not hiding from anyone. You've been spotted. You're on camera. The manager has eye contact with you, right? You are seen. You are spotted. You are revealed. The father sees his children. So here's the good news of the gospel. You are seen by the father, all of you. You're good, you're bad, and you're ugly. Seen, you are fully known, fully revealed, fully exposed before the Father. Through Christ, all of it, you are not hiding, you are fully known, and, and, all of it is taken care of through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. All of it. You are loved, you are forgiven, and you are a child. This is your identity through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that you are fully known, fully known, fully forgiven, and fully accepted as a child of God. And that is the result of the work of Jesus Christ. And again, this was from the beginning of time that this plan was cooking, right? And this is who you are through Jesus Christ. This is good news. Not only, it, Jesus makes this possible. And it is only through Jesus that this is possible. It is only through Jesus that this is possible, that we are seen as a child of God because of the work of the Son of God, because of Jesus Christ. Now, continuing on in this text, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. That's kind of strange, right? As a sacrifice, someone being executed, how does that prolong life? It's a weird. Well, church, we know it's because the grave could not keep him. We know that he rose life eternally, that Jesus Christ conquered both a perfect life and death itself. So, so here, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. And again, listen, Isaiah reminds us, just in case we forgot, um, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, this was not a rogue mission. This was not mission C because A and B had failed. This was not a last-ditch effort. This was the plan of God from the beginning. This was it. When Jesus accomplished the work on the cross, he fulfilled perfectly and completely the plan of God from the beginning of time. Perfectly and completely. Jesus was the plan. In verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Jesus Christ, make many to be accounted righteous, righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Church, there is only one who is righteous, period. There is only one. There is only one. And now through Jesus Christ, the righteous one, you and I are accounted as righteous before God. 
Meaning, not only are you seen as a child of God because of the work of, of the Son of God, not only that, but, okay, this might be worth you coming this morning. This is gonna be hard for some of us to take, but I really think that some of us need to go and get a t-shirt and print this on it. Not so much for them to remind you, all right, every time you look in a mirror, right? This is gonna be a hard one to take. Listen, the Father doesn't just see you, but through the Son, he likes what he sees. The Father does not just see you, but through Jesus Christ, because of the work of Jesus Christ, when he sees you, he likes what he sees. Because when he sees you, he sees perfection. When he sees you, he sees righteousness. When he sees you, church, he sees his son. When he sees you, he likes what he sees, and that is the work of the son. So, so you are seen as righteous. You are seen as righteous because of the work of the son of God. Again, he doesn't tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He's not just being patient with you. No, he purchased you, and now he looks at you in love. You are fully known. You are fully exposed, and yet he loves you and likes what he sees. That is good news, amen? That is good, good news. Second uh, Corinthians, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He looks at you and is as insecure as you may be in this moment. As insecure as you might be sitting in your chair, the Father enjoys looking at you. I'm telling you, some of us need that on a shirt. I'm just saying. Um, your guilt and your grief were put on him. Were put on him. He gave his life for you on the cross. He perfectly fulfilled the, the plan of God from the beginning of time. And, and now you are seen as a child of God before the Father. You are seen as righteous before the Father. And this is in and only in Jesus Christ. This is through and only through him. And this is, we, we stand on this. So church, let me just ask, why on earth do we hide and why on earth do we wait to come to him? Why? Why do we try to clean ourselves up? Here's the call this morning. Um, as we consider the work of God, as we consider our God, as we consider what this text calls us to, um, let me be clear, no one comes, no one comes to the Son apart from the Holy Spirit. Meaning, it's the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes. It's the Holy Spirit that moves in us and prompts our heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why in moments like this, as the gospel has been presented, the many of us here um, feel the Holy Spirit working in us. We feel our eyes being opened. We feel our heart being prompted. We feel our affections growing for our Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about last week, this is what he does, <laughs> calling us to come 
to Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Son apart from the Holy Spirit. And then also, as Jesus says in John 14, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. It is through the Son, let me remind you, that we are seen as God's children. It is, it is through the Son that we are righteous before the Father. Church, there is no hope apart from him. There is no hope apart from him. But through him, we have an unshakable hope. Unshakable hope. And none of this would be possible, church. None of this would be possible apart from the love of the Father who loved you. Remember, in love he predestined you before the foundations of the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him, we serve an amazing God. Here's the call. Uh, here in this moment, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, no matter what brings you into this place, um, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old you are. Young, anywhere in between. Man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. Whatever brings us here, uh, whether you are a visitor with us this morning, if so, welcome. Um, you're a regular with us. Maybe you're a member with us. Um, you're not here by accident. So all of us, no matter who you are, what brought you into this room, um, here's the moment, here, in this moment, here's the call. Let us listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting in our heart. to come to Christ for the first time, for the 50th time. Let us listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting in our heart to come to our, our Savior, to come to Christ, to experience the love of God through the work of Jesus Christ, his Son. Let's listen and let's respond. Would you pray with me? God, you were, you were afflicted, you were crushed, you were pierced so that we would not have to be. Help us never to, to feel, to believe that we deserved any of that. But God, help us to, to never lose the wonder, the awe that you would choose to love us, to give yourself for us. Like a, like a lamb led before the slaughter. God, that should have been us. That, that should have been me. but you accomplished it all. And now, through you, because of your work, because of what you have done, now, now we get to, to live our life knowing that we are your children, 
that that nothing is going to separate us from, from our Father's love. Nothing, we know this, we stand on this because of nothing we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. We stand on it. Lord, would you stir our affections right now for your good news, for, for Jesus Christ? Would you stir our affections in this moment? For those of us who have never uh, responded to the gospel, God, right now, would you create an awareness in us to feel your spirit working in us and give us the boldness to listen and to respond? God, for those of us in this room who maybe we have have been uh, following after you for for years and years and years and years. Help this never to grow old. And in this moment, I pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes to feel your spirit working in us, stirring again, stirring our affections for our Savior. God, we love you only because you gave us the ability to love you only because you first loved us. But because you did, in love, choose us before the foundation of the world to be your adopted sons and daughters through the work of Jesus Christ, because of that, let's stir our hearts, stir our affections, and let us live our lives now in light Let us walk out of this place seeing you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen.